So um, yesterday about one o'clock, uh, Emmeline and the children came into the house, and I, I had them come in and the front door shut. And uh, I thought that's okay. I'd better come downstairs because uh, I knew that, uh, that they'd been going out to they'd been to the library. And then they were off to, to do something at Burgess Hill. And while they were there, they were getting McDonald's. And obviously the sound of the front door shutting was them back home. So I, I came downstairs and I went into the lounge. And there was Faith with her big paper cup. And I think Noah had one too. Uh, and Emmeline was just getting a bird out the, the bag. And I sort of looked hopefully. <laughs> and there wasn't anything for me. <laughs> Uh, and I went, well, where is mine? And, and the response was, I thought we'd eat it before we got home, but we didn't. <laughs> and I was like, uh, it still didn't solve the problem of what was for my um, lunch and ended up making a sandwich in the kitchen. Um, I'm not so much of a McDonald's person. I prefer to go to Subway. You know, I like to go in there and then you can choose... Um, the different bits that, that go into how, how big a sandwich you want, what sort of bread it's going to be, all the different flavours, whether it gets toasted or not. For, for Emmeline, it's just uh, that pressure of choice is too much. It, 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 it's, uh, the, it's all unlabeled, there's a vast range. It's just too postmodern. You know, you can have anything. It's all there, whatever flavour you want. Whatever you want in that thing that you're going to eat, you can, you can choose it. Whatever type of meat, whatever type of cheese, be it normal cheese or spicy cheese, whatever type of sauce you've got to have on top, there's so much choice there. Which leads me into a question. If you were going to make a sandwich... If you were going to make a sandwich and you could have anything in it, what would you have? Cheese. Cheese. Anything with the cheese. Butter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you see? Oh, yeah, yeah. A bit of butter in there. Pickle? Yes. Oh, you see? You see, we start adding things in. It makes the sandwich different. It makes it taste in a different way. Some of us might put less in tomato in as well. It might end up being huge. Some might, instead of cheese, choose ham. They might have some chicken in the fridge. They might go somewhere else. The, the thing that, for me in my opinion, that makes a sandwich, you know, which is why I, I kind of asked about the butter and the pickle, um, is, is how, how lush it becomes. You know, you, you don't want just a dry bread. You want something a bit more. You, you want the filling to be almost moist, but not that moist that it contaminates the bread. 
butter does a good job of that. It provides a, a like a waterproof uh, coating. Um, why am I talking about bread and sandwiches? Well, of course, we had uh, bread in our reading this morning, um, but this passage is a bit of a sandwich. Tonight, um, although it can stand alone, and although it's sometimes taken standing alone, um, it's best thought of in that wider context. You wouldn't have butter by itself. But you have to put it into the middle. You have to put the thing in there. And that wider context that this passage sits in is... Last Sunday evening's reading and this morning's reading. Last Sunday evening we had the Pharisee coming and uh, and asking a question about the law, which we then got into the uh, love your neighbour as yourself and who is my neighbour. And we heard the parable of what I will call a good Samaritan. You know, I said said last week, if it's the Good Samaritan, it suggests that there's only one Good Samaritan. But it's a Good Samaritan. Um, And it finishes with the message to go and do likewise. To go and love. Go and do likewise. This morning, what we had was something that followed on from some teaching on the Lord's Prayer and uh, instruction that goes further (coughs) on prayer, doesn't it? And that challenge in the parable about somebody knocking at the door in the middle of the night and how we respond to them And whether we ask, whether we seek, whether we ourselves knock, whether we come before the Lord in prayer, and whether we do those things. Again, about doing. Go and do likewise. Ask, seek, knock. Two passages where the message is very much about doing. But here in between, we've got a very different message, haven't we? Because there's Martha doing, and Mary not. This is our lush sandwich filling, nestling in between the two parables that involve helping people in practical and prayerful ways is the encounter that we have, the one encounter that we have in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, the only time we meet Mary and Martha. We see them again in John, in John's Gospel, which is, uh, when we meet them there, it's much later in Jesus' ministry. Um, It's firstly at uh, the raising of their brother Lazarus from the grave. 
And it's, it's clear there that there's an established relationship between Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. Uh, though that's the first encounter we've seen in John's Gospel between Mary and Martha uh, and the Lord. And, and that raising uh, of Lazarus uh, is swiftly followed by the story of Martha serving a meal, slaving away again in the kitchen, while Mary pours half a litre of nard worth a year's wages on the Lord and then wipes his feet with her hair. That later meal where Martha's still bustling and Mary still worships. Has the brother seated too? But here in Luke, the brother is not present, the brother is not mentioned. There's no reference to him. The home is described as being the home of Martha. Which is an unusual thing, isn't it? Because we do often in the first century see a woman by herself in that situation. I guess later in Acts we encounter Lydia. That's a whole other place. So here we have Martha. She opens the home to the guests. She is the one who is the host. She is the one that bustles about preparing a meal. But what's more unusual is that thing that Mary is doing. Because Mary sits at the feet. She sits at the feet and hears the teaching of Jesus, who is a, a rabbi to them. The sitting at the feet, the, the listening to the teacher, is the place of a disciple. And women were not disciples or rabbis. But that's where Mary is being put in the passage. Not in a place of laziness, as Martha would think, but in the place of a student. It's a completely radical concept to the first century. But such is the kingdom of God that earthly convention is often turned on its head. And Mary is there and she listens and she learns. Martha, meanwhile, is overloaded. She has a list of chores that need to get done. There can be two kind of approaches to that. You can either go about 
going, oh, that's one job, and you do that, and then think, oh, what else do I have to do, and ponder a bit, and do the next one, or or maybe you write a list. Don't know if you do that. A list of what tasks have to be completed. I know somebody that writes a, a list of tasks and takes them off, or actually, they the person I'm thinking of crosses them off. Crosses completely through them as they're done. That's it. It's done. It's finished. It's out the way. Sometimes they'll even think of things they've done earlier in the day and write it at the top of the list so that they can just cross it off and say, yep, that's me. Look what I've accomplished. I'm not like that at all, I must admit. But there are some people that are like that. You know, and... and, uh, I wonder if Martha's like that. She's, although not written down a list of chores, she's got something in her mind that is a list of work that has to get done. And it seems to be a list that she's maybe even adding stuff to. Not stuff that she's done earlier in the day that she can already cross off the second it's there, but more and more things that are becoming a greater and greater burden as Jesus sits and Mary sits at his feet. I wonder sometimes whether we fill our lives with things that are um, what we put a high priority on, but are actually inconsequential. And the things that we say, we have to do this, we have to do this, but actually, we maybe don't. Do we fill our lives with things that we don't actually need to fill our lives with? Some commentators suggest that she is uh, trying to prepare a feast worthy of a king. And she just wants to keep adding dishes to the table. You know, I don't know if you've ever organised a dinner party or some other sort of party, and, and you think, well, all these things, and oh well, maybe if they, maybe they won't like that. Maybe I need this as well. Maybe it's something extra that will add into it. And. Uh, And the commentary writers sometimes think that uh, Jesus referring to plates of food when he speaks of just a few things are needed. You know, we don't need all this. Just a few things are needed. And then he says, or indeed only one. Whether it's with respect to the setting of the table or to other matters, the only true thing of importance is that we grow in faith. Yes, we express that faith in different ways. We show what we've learned. We delight our hope in in growing with the Lord. 
But that's the important thing that Jesus wants for Martha as well as for Mary. Just as last week we saw Jesus boiled down the whole law into that concept of love your neighbour as yourself and the exploration of who the neighbour was, we can maybe uh, reduce that a lot further. In the light of this passage, we can reduce it to simply the word love. We have to love our God and we love our neighbour. And of course, that love of neighbour is as we love ourselves. Love is seen in Mary. How she sits there, how she listens. We see it again at that later date as it approaches the time where Jesus will show his love upon the cross as the nard is poured out, as the, the feet are washed with hair. Love is there in Mary. But in Martha's frustration, in her anger at her sister, and also in her dismay that Jesus is allowing Mary not to help, love is not the thing on Martha's mind. It's not the thing at the top of the list of things to do. It's not number one on the agenda. And as she speaks to her house guest, as she comes out with words to Jesus, there's not much love there. Don't you care? she says the earthly presence of Jesus is all about compassion about her heavenly father how our heavenly father cares deeply deeply for all people and I wonder how much Martha would later regret those words, that outburst that she brings. Don't you care, Jesus? But maybe at times we've expressed in our prayers, at times when we've been asking or seeking, or trying to knock it's something that's quite similar don't you care about what I'm going through don't you care Lord about my sick friend don't you care about the situation in the Middle East about battles in Yemen and tension with Iran and the answer, of course, is that God does care. God 
is love. When we care deeply, we can't get that muddled up. When we're caring deeply about our friend, maybe like the friend in this morning's passage who was hungry and needed food or needed healing. When we care deeply, we, we need to remember that God cares too. Our release is not to blame God, but ask for that care that we know he has, that compassion that is deep in his heart to come into the situation. For his peace to be known, for the reconciliation of earthly and spiritual realms to be known such that the kingdom grows. Does Martha learn her lesson? Does she stop and listen and grow in love? The gospel doesn't actually tell us. We hope that she does. That perhaps she, she hears the message of how to pray that comes in the next chapter. That she learns to simply trust in the Lord. Whether that's there in her actions that we see later in John's Gospel, it's a bit harder to tell. The story of Martha and Mary perhaps sitting perhaps both waiting is a contrast to the flavour that is the two outside bits of the sandwich where we get a message to go and do we can only go and do when we have that faithfulness when we have that knowledge of trust that knowledge of God's love and take that on board for ourselves we need times of stillness but not stillness as an end to itself but stillness that refreshes us and enables us to grow, to be the disciples that God wants us to be. The passage also, I wonder, um, might challenge us about our being in another way too. Our thoughts about ourselves. I imagine the small number of us that gathers here on a Sunday evening might like to think of ourselves as Marys. That we come, we sit in the presence of the Lord, we come before him, we delight in his word, 
we want to learn and grow. Just like Mary at the Master's feet, being refreshed. But there is a danger. There's a danger that we can at times become more like Martha. A risk that our bustling and chores detract from our worship. That later in the week, instead of being the compassionate, loving Mary, we have a bit of that Martha in us. That foot-stomping, scowl-wearing Martha. Not always the listening Mary that we imagine ourselves to be. So may we learn to take the time to be a Mary. To be refreshed with flavour. To relax in his presence. To be one who lives for the Lord and worships him with all of our being and with all of our worth.